Movie Making with Renelle Golden is brought to you by Samira Entertainment, supporting indie films and the filmmakers who create them. Stop by their website to learn more, www.samiraentertainment.com. That's www.samiraentertainment.com. Hello, everybody. Today, I am here with Nina Amiri, entertainment attorney. How are you doing today? Hi, Renelle. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How about you? Well, you know, we're just weathering the storm of these guild strikes here in uh, in Hollywood, WGA and the Screen Actors Guild. It is the talk of every conversation that I have these days. And we could actually jump right into, and then we can talk about some more down-to-earth indie filmmaker things to share. But this IP thing where they're taking your image for talent, I never knew that until recently when I was like, why are they on strike? And I was kind of reading about it. And so apparently they're hiring talent. They film them for one day, take their image, and they're done. They never see any additional funds or anything. So what do you think about that and a good outcome from the strike? Well, you know, number one, that is a practice that I think is unconscionable, quite frankly. Yes. Yeah. You know, the idea that you can enter into a contract with a person for one limited license in connection with one film and that all of a sudden your image, which is, you know, how you derive your income is then going to be used without your, you know, consent uh, in pretty much anything is just, it's, it's just, it's, it's one of the kind of, I think, worst things that it's kind of cruel, you know, right? It, it, yeah. It's worst thing. And believe me, we've, we've all seen a lot of horrible things in Hollywood, right? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's, it, it is famously the most exploitive industry in the, in, in the universe. History, probably. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. And, and in history. And, but this, this just takes it to a new, new level. And I think that it's about time that, artists, creators, performers stood up for their rights. I'm really, really proud to be, you know, on the side of advocating for artists and creators. I'm on, you know, the side of the line that I've always wanted to be on and I have my entire career. Yeah. Um, and I'm so glad that they're standing up for themselves. This is something I was trying to to research to understand because AI is so scary. It's almost like, are there solutions to it? So, you know, without going in too deep, because we're here to talk about you, but what are, like, what are possible solutions and protections that could be put in place? And are there, are there really any? Because I'm looking at it and I'm just like going, oh my God, I did not know that this had grown that far. Yeah. Well, I think that number one is always going to be contractual, you know, limiting the rights. You know, these agreements that are at issue right now don't apply to independent films, which oh. is the world that I come in. And so you can you can certainly negotiate and make sure that your image and name are protected. Beyond that, I think that what what's happening right now is important is making sure this conversation is happening and right. that it is brought to the the negotiating table and that it is formalized 
you know, this industry, like every industry, is going to change because of AI. There's not a lot we can do about that. However, we can certainly put restrictions and and limit and make sure that you know, we're being fair and equitable. Yes, that's um, the key, right? And and that, you know, and I think that ultimately, you know, there could be kind of two two worlds where, you know, there's, you know, the independent world where things are done one way and then there's the streaming and, and studio world when maybe things are done another way, you know? Like, I think people may just have to reject being part of that side of the business and I think Mark Ruffalo, he was. I just you know, read his article about. Yeah, he was advice. advocating for that as well. It was like focus on making and being involved in independent films, and he's made it an amazing career as an actor. He has. Um, I was very excited to read that. I actually read that this morning. His article. Yeah. Someone had sent it to me, and then I was sharing it everywhere because I was like, "Yes, love this advice. Jump into the indie world because that's my world too." So. Yeah, exactly. And and this is where you retain your creative rights. And I think that there is a co- more collaborative spirit. The problem with the, the streamers and the studios is their approach is always take it or leave it. Or, you know, as one of the executives famously said last week is we're going to keep pushing this until people start losing their homes and apartments. That's, that's horrible. And so if, if that's your mindset, why are we even doing business with you? Yes, that's true. I'm hoping for, you know, a good conclusion and it doesn't draw out until people lose their homes because that is a horrible thought. But, you know, we're going to have to just watch it. But today we're actually here to talk a little bit more about you. And and I wanted to actually talk about what got you into entertainment law of all things. Okay, so I grew up in Los Angeles, so I was pretty much around it my entire life. My father was creative. He was an editor. He was a camera assistant, even an actor. Oh, wow. Uh, He worked on some of the most groundbreaking films in the horror gore genre produced produced by the infamous director Herschel Gordon Lewis. Unfortunately, he passed when I was eight, and so I never you know, got to, you know, experience, you know, uh, life with him um, the way I should have. But I always found myself drawn to artists and creators and, you know, kind of thinking about it. I was like, well, this makes sense because hello, my art, my dad was an artist. Yes. Yes. You know, I always felt, you know, kind of, you know, like these were my people. These, this is my community. This is my tribe. Yes. Um, but I myself, I'm not talented other than I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a great writer. You're definitely but, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, not, not a creative writer, more of a business minded yeah. personality. And so I learned about, you know, what are the roles of people in Hollywood outside of being a creator? And when I was reading the description of what entertainment lawyers do, which is negotiating advocating. These are all already skill sets that I had and that I enjoyed. So while I was at UCLA in undergrad, I worked at a entertainment law firm and it solidified my interests. And I went to Pepperdine Law School in Malibu, where I took every single entertainment law and intellectual property class. I was the the president of the sports and entertainment law society. I worked at a distribution company, Region Entertainment. I worked at a a boutique entertainment law firm in Malibu. So 
you know, I also, I worked for an independent music producer on the Napster case. So oh my you know, gosh. I, entrenched, I entrenched myself in this world. You earned all of your stripes. <laughs> yeah. And every, you know, step of the way, I, it confirmed that, yes, this is my path. Wow. And so I started out not in entertainment law, though. After I graduated Uh-oh. law school, I worked as a tax attorney. Oh, um, was that boring? Interestingly <laughs> enough, was a great background because oh. if you can negotiate against the IRS, guess what? You can oh. negotiate against Hollywood yeah, producers. You can do right? anybody. That's a really <laughs> good point. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So, that, wow. so there was that. And then from there, I went to a boutique entertainment law firm, AGM BLLP in Beverly Hills. I worked there nine years, learned everything about independent film, television, reality TV, IP, and that was a great, great, I think, uh, foundation. Thereafter, I was a partner at another entertainment firm called One LLP. I continued doing the same work, working with filmmakers, writers, directors, producers. Oh, wow. uh, Reality TV, influencers. You definitely know your stuff, man. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, you know, I've been I've been around. Let's just say that. Um, and then in October 2019, I was finally ready to start my own entertainment law firm, which right was before the pandemic, time. just months before the pandemic, just months before the global pandemic. My timing is impeccable, right, Renelle? Right. Oh my god. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I I started a Mary Law, and even with the, our industry shut down. I had success right off the bat in oh, a, a a you know thriving firm and a growing law firm. I've grown every single year. Um, wow. I just hired two associates that are going to be joining in the next three weeks. Oh, that's exciting! Um, yeah. So you know, even though we're on strike, even though you know Hollywood is in crisis, we're still moving forward. Um, I work with on a lot of documentary films. Oh, wow. um, I work with a lot of projects that are in development. There's a lot of completed films that are, you know, entering into distribution deals. So yes. there is still a lot going on. And it's also a great time for people to really look at their projects and start locking in their contracts. Because I think what happens is a lot of times everyone is so busy and they say, okay, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. This is the time, you know, right now time. is a great time to let's evaluate, you know, who's attached to your project. Do they have contracts? So, if they don't, let's get them going. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you, and, and you're kind of heading into that anyway, is so for filmmakers, indie or otherwise, like what is the best time for us to hire a lawyer to bring in that legal advice that we often don't do because it's a budget thing sometimes for us, but when should we do it? So I think that this is a mindset issue and the mindset is this you know, what is the value of a lawyer? And a lot of people think that the value of a lawyer is just writing a contract. That's not the highest and best value of a lawyer. Yeah. The highest highest and best value of a lawyer is their strategic advice. And I think that a lot of projects fail because the way that the deals are structured, you know, there isn't a lot of thought that goes into how the deals are going to get structured. And a lot and of things projects. after the fact, the hard way. And yes. I have my own horror stories, which, you know, what I did learn from my horror stories is I often go to the lawyer now preemptively because that's, that's the, the trouble you can lawyer. get into is not good. <laughs> that's the right way to use a lawyer. The right way to use a lawyer is in the very beginning when you're developing the project, 
you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm just working with my friends or, oh, I've known them forever. Well, guess what? (laughs) That doesn't matter. You need a contract and you need to spell out, okay, what, you know, what is everyone doing? And if you don't meet these conditions, are you even attached to the project? Um, So my advice is get the lawyer during development, pay the money, because guess what? It's going to save you. a couple thousand dollars now is much better than a hundred thousand dollars later. Yeah. And yeah. that's the truth. And that's a fact. And that's not fear-based. That's fact-based. That's yeah. what happens. You don't get lawyers. You don't get contracts. You end up having bigger problems later. You do. You do. And and I, I won't go into all my horror stories, but they were always after the fact when I started out in my career. So we had a, I'll, I'll tell you one of them because this one was my first learning point, but I had a show I was working on called Hit Women, and we partnered with an out-of-the-country producer. And we had met them at one of the film markets, and we went to uh, MIPCOM in Cannes, if I'm saying that right. And um, anyway, then we walked the red carpet and all that stuff. And I didn't go. I, I put my money into sending over the cast, and you know, I felt like that's the best way to promote it are the faces of the show. And while we were there, the partner who did go, this co-producer, presented a whole stack of brand new contracts. And he wanted, uh, it's a 13-episode series I had written fully. He was going to buy me out, fire all of the talent, and make the show overseas. Now, none of the girls knew that, and he was preying on them for sympathy. So they're all panicking and calling me, sign those contracts, sign those contracts. And I'm like, I'm not signing those contracts. Long story short, and thousands and thousands of dollars later, I had to hire an attorney after the fact and get all my IP back and have this big fight. And those girls had no idea because my attorney advised me, don't talk about this, don't this, don't that. You know, this was 2010, so a long time ago. But they came to me and they decided they were going to sue me as well for wages lost, time and money for 80 grand. Well, they all got paid when we shot the pilot. And at that time, it wasn't a union project because I was new in the industry. I was just getting a lot of success fast. So I had to deal with that lawsuit. And I had to deal with that guy trying to get all my IP and buy me out for $10,000, all 13 episodes. And so it was a mess. And I got the IP back, never did tell the girls what happened. And I had to put the project away for a while because it was such a culture shock. And that's kind of why I'm always like advocating now to people learn more. And I'm still learning. I still have mistakes like that from time to time. You know, it's just, it's unfortunate that this is so common. You know, these types of deals gone awry or relationships gone awry. Yeah. Uh, And that's why you have to do a lot of vetting. Yes. And you have to have strong contracts. Yes. And I really didn't know that. I was so green. And I still, that's, we're still learning. So what is something, although I probably just told you, but what is something that you see like indie filmmakers making that mistake again and again? Does it always come back to contracts or is it even more? I think that sometimes it's lack of planning. People are very impulsive and, you know, maybe they're, they're moving forward with things without really having the right team attached. Yes. Um, they're doing things DIY a little bit. Um, so, so when you, when you combine that with lack of, you know, contracts and formalities, it's kind of a recipe for disaster. 
Yes, it is. It is. What about for actors and actresses? Like at what point in their career, like should they have legal representation? Well, you know, a lot of actors, you know, rely on their managers and agents to review their contracts. And, you know, to the extent that they're doing, you know, small day player type of roles, you know, a lot of those contracts are pretty boilerplate and straightforward. But as they grow in their career and they're getting long form contracts, agents and managers are not lawyers. Um, And so at the end of the day, the only person that can really give you legal advice is an attorney. And so I think that as your career is growing and the deals are getting more complicated, then I do think an actor, actress should have an entertainment attorney as part of their team. The other thing too, is most actors these days are wear multiple hats. They, I noticed that. Yeah. And so, I mean, most of the, the, the people that I represent are writer, director, actress, writer, like there's not one role. And so I think that it makes sense to have an entertainment lawyer because we see all the different types of deals, you know, and we we understand, you know, how each of those roles is different and what protections need to be in place. If they're working with you as as an attorney, you can actually go in for filmmakers and talent. You can do that unpleasant stuff, that negotiating, that working out terms, right? We don't have to do it. We could trust you, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, no no one should negotiate their own deals. Let's be very clear about that. My, <laughs> what I was saying was that, you know, managers and agents are involved in negotiations. And sometimes people can get along just by having them, you know, kind of review bigger, documents. You are a valuable part of the team. Whether yes. you're doing it on your own or with the, the team, you are just, you take yes. away some and, of the And heartache. I work alongside the managers. And we, 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 all, we all work together. It uh, isn't like I'm I'm not replacing anybody. Right. You know, they're still doing what they're doing. And I'm just really the, the one that's looking at the contracts and making sure that, you know, everything is the way it, it should be. And that we're not leaving any exposure of our clients. Got you. It's all in all, it's a good thing. You are kind of an expert on IP, right? That's like one of your strong points. My my background is heavy on trademark and copyright, which, you know, as you know, those are kind of foundational in entertainment law. Yeah, they they definitely are. And so some of the things that I've heard, and I don't know if these things are rumors or not, but these would be a really good reason to have legal counsel. But I am first and foremost a screenwriter. That's I've been a writer for, you know, 15 years or something. But I have heard in the United States, if you write something, it's automatically yours. And then people are often using the WGA to register their scripts and things like that. And I'm always like, okay, that's great, but please go to the U.S. Copyright Office too and register your work. So is it true, like if you write something, it's automatically yours? So here is, is the way that copyright protection works. Copyright protection exist when something is put into a tangible medium of expression. So when something is written in a screenplay format, that's now a tangible medium of expression. So that is something that is is a copyright and protected. Okay. The issue is that if you want to sue someone for copyright infringement and get the benefit of 
you know, the copyright laws, which there are very severe penalties for copyright infringement, you must have a registered copyright with the United States Copyright Office. And Uh. so it is something that, you know, I'm, I'm still shocked that so many people don't understand that distinction. If you want to pursue, you know, a claim for copyright infringement, you need to have a registration. Yeah, very good point. I know a lot of people like, I know one filmmaker that's made like 32 shorts in the last five years. And I'm like, how do you do that? Do you think there's any circumstances where not copywriting is okay? Because I that I'm pretty diligent about it, isn't? But I don't know. You're not gonna you're not gonna hear that from me. Obviously, (laughs) you know. I mean, why spend the time creating something and not protect it? Like I I just don't even. I don't even. I I I can't even wrap my head around that. Especially because it's so easy. It's a form. That's filled out online. It's, online. it's relatively cheap. It is. I just, I there's no universe that exists for me where that's an option. Yeah, me, me either. Actually, it it kind of blows my mind, but I I see it all the time. I'm like, oh my gosh. Another thing with IP, though, I know as filmmakers, we always go hmm with this. So let's say we're making a film, and there is. GE refrigerator in the background or a microwave with a logo on it or things like that, that are just part of the set in general. When it comes to IP or, or, you know, rights for those people that own those products, does the filmmaker generally for something that's just going to be passing in a scene, like are those things we need to maybe plan a bit about or be aware of? Well, the issue is, are you using it in the way that it's intended? And the the second issue is, are you putting the product, are you uh, saying something negative about the product? Like, oh. you know, Toyotas are the worst cars ever. Oh. You know, and it's gotcha. obvious Toyota. You know, you, I wouldn't do that, you know. If we're doing the um, dishes and there's a GE refrigerator or something. Yeah. It, it now, doesn't with matter. That said, with that said, most of the time, those logos are blurred out. True, true. Yeah. I always wonder about that because I hear about it a lot. And I know like we've gone out and we film in a convenience store and we might get all the beers as you're like panning across the, you know, the back freezers or something. And I'm just, I I always wonder, but we go through and we blur them out, but I see films all the time in my festival that come in and it's like, uh uh-oh, they didn't blur it out. It doesn't matter. The best practice is to blur it out. Yeah. You know, the other argument that, you know, a brand can make is that, oh, well, you're using, you know, our product, you know, to elevate your your project or someone might think that we're sponsoring your film or we yeah. have some kind of affiliation because nowadays there are a lot of, you know, brand uh, integrations with films. Yeah. So that's one of the other concerns, which is why, again, best practice blurring. Yes. Good point. I, even on some feature films that go into distribution, I know that everything goes through quality control and, you know, we, we have all our deliverables, but you know, there's a few times I've seen on the feature films where the distributor didn't even catch that. And I don't Mm. know if it's their job, but those are things that I always worry about for my own films, but it's, it's an interesting thing. So what kind of advice would you maybe share with filmmakers that, are up and coming or even talent, you know, regarding getting their projects going? You know, I think the the number one thing is just be careful about who you bring onto your projects. 
you know, really vet people and really figure out what you want to do with the project. What is your end goal? And get contracts in place. You know, if you if you want to bring on people, everybody needs to know what their role is, what is expected of them, and how they're going to be compensated. The other thing is, I think it's important that, you know, people immerse themselves in the business side. So that means reading the trades, reading anything they possibly can about this business, reading books. Educating um, yourself. Knowledge is power, really. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's, you know, yes, you're going to have advisors, but you know, if you want to be successful in this business, you have to treat it like a business. Makes sense. Makes sense. And that is one of the hardest lessons to learn. I I mean, I think that I'm still learning it and, you know, I've been in here a little while and, and there are times where, oh, I should do this. So I know we probably need to wrap up in a few minutes. So where can people find you, hire you? How can they uh, get a hold of you? So my website is www.amirilawpc.com. On my website, there is a contact form that you can fill out and that someone from my, my team will reach out You know, to set up a consult. That's generally the easiest way to get onto the calendar. I generally will do a free 15 minute consult. We have clients all over the US. So very cool. Very cool. And your firm is growing. My firm is growing. We have um, two new associate attorneys joining the firm. We have two contract lawyers. You're Um, based in California. Do you only practice in California or are you nationwide? We have have clients everywhere because at the end of the day, most of these contracts and entertainment are governed by California law. Oh, Um, that's good. Okay. So, so we have clients everywhere and we have a growing client base in Austin, Texas. Oh, wow. So I'm going to be hopefully joining the Texas bar soon. Oh, nice. And yeah, you know, our, our industry, you know, is constantly evolving. I work with a lot of social media influencers. Awesome. So that's that's kind of another uh, fun area. We work with musicians as well. And so, yeah, anyone who's creating content is, you know, a client of our firm. Oh, that's awesome. That that covers a lot of talent, writers, directors, producers, probably every type of filmmaker. And guess what? I even do podcast deals. Oh, my God. oh really? Oh, <laughs> I, I sure do. Point and I can hire I sure you. do. <laughs> Yes, I do. I would love that. Book deals, podcasts. Yep. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't even know that. Oh, and I'm working on somebody's book right now too. She's hired me for six weeks to help her with her book. So I'll have to tell her. That's very, very cool. Um, Okay. Well, before we wrap up, I have this little segment that I do. That's five for five. It's five fun questions um, Mm -hmm. for people to know you as a person. And don't worry, nothing too personal. (laughs) Okay. But if you're ready, I'm going to go. Are you ready? Go. Okay. First question. What is your favorite food? Oh, probably uh, shrimp scampi. Oh, okay. Yummy. All right. Okay. Next question. This isn't, you're the first one I've ever asked this. So we'll see how, if if it goes over or not, but what is something that inspires you or motivates you in life? 
When I see people that start their careers later in life and have a high level of success, Um, that is always something like I'm so impressed with because it takes so much courage. Oh, I love that. You would love my client. She's around 50 and she literally started her life over and just did a seven track album in Jamaica at the Tough Gong Studios. And I'm like, you did what? Because I'm wow. always going, I'm old, I'm 57. I'm like, I'm old, I can't. And she, I'm like, I better be quiet now because I love no, that I answer. Don't, I don't, I've really changed my mindset about this because I've seen so many people that have just th- just done amazing. And, oh. you know, it, it's, yeah, that inspires me a lot. That is amazing. I love that. Okay, what is something that you have always dreamed of doing, but you haven't done yet that's not entertainment industry related? Um, riding an elephant in Thailand. Oh, oh, that's very cool. Oh my gosh, that is cool. You do it with me. I just gotta, you know, just someday, it. right? When you get five minutes. <laughs> oh yeah, gotta, we're we're working towards that. We're working yeah. towards that. Yes, and and you can be a princess for a day while you ride the elephant. <laughs> I love it. And then I can have some Thai iced tea and some pad Thai. Oh my god, my, that's one of my favorites. Okay. Number four, what is your favorite song to sing at the top of your lungs when you're driving in the car? Oh, my God. <laughs> that is a hard one. But lately, me and my daughter um, have been listening to a lot of Katy Perry. Oh. So I'm going to say pretty much any Katy Perry song because my daughter loves her so much. Oh, and I love it. Just- we go to town with her music. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. I love singing with my kids in the car too. My son, he doesn't sing so much. My daughter, it's like, I have a son too. He he can't stand it, but (laughs) he's like, can you stop already? He's like, Oh my God. Again. I'm like, Um, yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay. The last question. And this one's often very hard. What is your favorite movie? God. I mean, I, God, I don't even know where to start with that one. I mean, all of the Godfather films I, oh. I can watch over and over again. Okay. Um, I love, I love Forrest Gump. It just, it's a very uplifting movie. Yeah. Um, you have kids. I, Are they young? You're probably watching kids films. Who knows? I watch a lot of kids movies, but you know, would rather not. Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, some of them are cute. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I just, that's a hard one. I can't. Good. I, I mean, it's so huh? good. Godfather movies are so good. I mean, I just it never happens. get tired of them. And every time I watch them, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, um, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, you were awesome today. I had so much fun talking to you. Likewise. I hope come back, Nina. And, uh, you know, I hope to meet you in November when we get out to L.A. Yeah, I will be at the American Film Market, and I look forward to connecting then. Yes. All right. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thanks. Bye. Today's show is sponsored by Gym Kitty, helping women on their health and wellness journey by providing high-quality, organically sourced vitamins and supplements. Visit them today at www.gymkitty.net. You've been listening to Movie Making with Rennell Golden. Be sure to come back for our next episode where we bring you the people who make movies you love. Got a topic about filmmaking you want to hear on our podcast? Send us an email at moviemakingpodcast at gmail.com. 
Thanks for listening. This podcast has been sponsored by Samara Entertainment.